this morning. We're going to continue our study through 1 Timothy. We'll, we're starting 1 Timothy chapter 3 this week, and uh, I am happy to report Pastor Joe preached the controversial passage last week instead of giving it to me, and uh, I don't remember the last time I've had a passage under three chapters or that wasn't controversial, so this, this feels great, y'all. I am, I am happy up here. So as we look out across our, our nation right now, um, the, the idea of leadership is exploding, and what that means and how to do it and what that looks like has just, uh, it's everywhere we turn. And in most nonprofits, uh, nearly all nonprofits, and even most larger corporations, the way we see current structures is there's a board, there's a governing board over that organization, um, whether that be a board of directors in a profit, uh, for-profit industry, or a possible board of directors, or a board of something governing board in a nonprofit. And there's all sorts of things that, that go into who gets on that board and then how they make decisions. So they're responsible for those big decisions like big capital expenditures or what to do with the money or how to make money or, well, there's a problem, what do we do? They, they set up officers on that board and then they hold those officers accountable to get the job done that they say should be done. And if you go to, to look up and, and start studying some of this stuff, I mean, there are masses of information about how boards should be run. I, I just grabbed one of these. This is for a nonprofit. So that's, by the way, what we are, you know, church-wise, just, just so we're all clear here. According to this organization, major organization, I'm not going to name them because I don't, it's a good thing. Um, here's who should be on our board. We should have experts in the following, administration and management, early stage organizational startup, we should have had that, uh, financial oversight, somebody in fundraising, somebody who is an expert in church government, someone who is an investment manager, someone in legal field, someone with leader, leadership skills, a motivator, marketing public relations, human resources, someone for strategic planning, someone for the physical plant, possibly an architect or engineer, someone who's an expert in real estate, someone who understands the community needs, someone who's an expert in technology, and then it says other, and there's several slots. Then you also need people who are financially wealthy. You don't just need people who are wealthy, you need people who have access to others who are wealthy. Uh, you need people who are connected to other resources, foundations, corporate support. You need somebody on the board who has the ability to solicit corporate fundraising. Now you also need some community connections. You need other religious organizations, someone from there should be on the board, someone from the corporate structure should be on the board, someone from education, media, someone from politics, a philanthropist, a small business, and someone from social services. You should have different personality styles. You should have a consensus builder, a good communicator, a strategist, a team members, team members and visionaries. You should have different ages represented. Uh, their particular ones they say should be represented in this church is 19 to 34, 35 to 50, 51 to 65, and then someone over 65. You should have males and females. You should have people for our area. We should have someone who is African-American or black, Asian, Pacific Islander, Vaughn and Remy. You are included on the list. How they figured out y'all are here, I don't know. But anyway, they listed Pacific Islander, uh, Caucasian, Hispanic, Latino, and then Native American. That's what our board should look like, according to leadership experts. 
But when we come to Scripture, those kind of qualities don't even make the list. And I'm not saying, there's a lot of wisdom. Let me tell you, as, as elders, we would love somebody who is a brilliant financial strategist. I, and that's, that's something I would say we, we could use. It's not that that's all bad stuff. But when the scriptures say, here's how the church should be led, it doesn't go there at all. It doesn't go there at all. If you've opened your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If not, there's a, there's a black Bible there in the chair backs in front of you. They put up page numbers. They're amazing. I forgot to look this week. I normally do that. I can't see it. 992, in case you are nearsighted there. Page 992 in those black Bibles. And you're welcome to keep that if you don't have a Bible at home. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're just going to have seven verses this morning. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will we care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." That's God's list. So again, it's not that we take this list, tear it up, throw it over our shoulders. But when God comes and says, here's how your leaders are to look. Here's how your leaders are to look. It's a very different set. It's a very different list. In Scripture, we see that the requirements for elder are all about character with only one exception. It's about character. And here's the reason. The church already has its masterly, skillful, creative, charismatic, completely resourced, and powerful leader. And his name is King Jesus. We don't need that. We need men who will get out of Jesus' way, who will humble themselves have the character to listen to his direction, to follow his word. So what we want to do today is look there in 1 Timothy 3 and see what kind of leader is there. And I, I, I felt like the need today, we also need to kind of pull in another couple texts about elders and say, what do they do? And why is this character so, so important? So four things. It's going to be the opposite of normal sermon. You know, my, most of my sermons, like point one, takes like three-fourths of the sermon, and then like three, four, five. All right, today, just the opposite. Point one, wanting to be a leader in the church is a good thing if your desire is to exalt Christ. Wanting to be a leader in the church is a good thing if your desire is to exalt Christ. 
Um, sometimes we have a fear of leadership. We have a fear of power. We have a fear ever since Nietzsche described all speech acts as power. And, and it gets this dark, kind of almost dastardly thinking to leadership. And there, there can be no good leadership almost. Scripture has a very different view. The Bible says there are leaders. They're, they're called pastor, elders, or overseers. That was the p- passage that Cody ran uh, early, earlier. It was Peter. He says, I'm an elder, and I want to talk to the fellow elders there. I want you to pastor, and I want you to oversee things. Those are three words um, refer to one office in the church, and we've talked about this before. I'm going to go fairly quickly on that, but there is a leadership office, and right here, Paul says, it's good to want that leadership office. Uh, Godly, holy, and humble aspirations are a great thing. If you've ever wanted to teach a Sunday school class, let me tell you, that's, that's good. That's a wonderful thing. If you wanted to head up a ministry, awesome, as long as it's from good character that exalts Jesus Christ. And I want to say very specifically to our church, and, and for those of you who might be a little bit new, kind of, kind of catch you up here, we've gone through about a two-year process that really started 10 years ago, but the last two years it's been very intense of restructuring our church governance. We wrote, wrote our constitution, and we have now um, placed in formal elders who are not on staff. We've, we've got two of them, Jeff and Steve, and they're doing an amazing job. Church, I, I, as a pastor, I can't tell you, these guys are doing phenomenal. They have already been an asset to you as a congregation. They are praying for you and they love you. But we went through this study and we talked about that elders, and it's a group of them in one church, so it's not, you know, the head honcho and he just runs everything, but it's a group of godly men qualified by God's word and set in place by the church, that the, the elders nominate them and the church places them, are to lead God's church. And it's good to want that position. Look, look what he says there. He calls it noble. This is a trustworthy saying. In other words, let, let me put a little more emphasis on this. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This is a good thing. So let me say this to you. Some of you in the congregation who have maybe had that thought, keep having that thought. Keep having that thought. Not in a, in a place yourself up and get yourself on, on the pulpit or something like that, but in the thought of you want to do more to serve our godly, amazing church. And we have lots of faults, but God's doing so much. And ultimately, you want to serve our glorious, incredible Savior. That's a good thing. So want those things. Maybe it's not elder, maybe... For whatever reason, and, and Joe talked about this last week, maybe even if it's gender, you, you're not qualified p- for the position of elder, but desire to be a deacon. Want that. That's a good, good thing. Work toward that. Seek this godly character so that you can lead. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's VBS. You have always thought, I would love to do that. I don't think I could ever do that. Seek that. Ask God to help you and jump in and do it. Take that next step. It's a good thing. Wanting to be a leader in the church is a good thing if your desire is to exalt Christ. All right. Second thing. I told you that first one was short. Y'all, y'all probably never heard that short of a point from me. Elders must be marked. And, and by the way, yeah, I've been set up. Joe said it was going to be a short sermon this week. So he, anyway, 
Point two, elders must be marked by Christ-like character so they will follow Christ. And I know that that almost sounds circular. In a lot of ways it is, but, but track with me. Elders must be marked by Christ-like character so they will follow Christ. Here's the point of all that list, and we're going to fly through that list a little bit, but here's the point of the list. They need to look like Jesus because they love Jesus and are spending time with Jesus, and they know Him and love Him. And the reason they need to have that character is because the role of an elder in the church is to point the church to Jesus. And if you're not like Jesus, at least striving to be, you can't do that. The church is truly a place where, where you can't lead people where you, ha- where you haven't gone yourself. There are areas and there are coaches out there. There are great coaches of sports teams. I don't know which ones because I don't even want to guess. They're coaches of sports teams. They may not be the best player. And, and I remember this from, from high school. Our football coach was like 400 pounds. I mean, he's a big one. And, and, and just giant. There's no way that man could run. He was a great co- football coach. Led our team to a championship. Okay, He couldn't do it himself, but he could tell the other guys how to do it. Maybe once he could do it, but, but it wasn't happening anytime soon. And, but, man, he got those guys to run and throw things and whatever you do in football. They won. But, sorry, some, some of y'all, if you don't know me, you, you've pretty well just met me, all right? Um, but they won the championship, even though he couldn't demonstrate those skills himself. He knew how to coach people there. The church isn't like that. The call of the elder is, follow me as I follow Christ. We're a shepherd. We're trying to go out front. We're not going to be cowboys with a whip driving. Come on, go go out there. Get, get, be like Jesus while I yell and scream at you. That, that doesn't work in the church. Not only does it not work, it brings shame to the name of Christ. Your elders and elders in the future, we want to be calling, hey, hey, come on, come on. It's better this way. Jesus is better. He's more. You want Jesus rather than that sin. That's the job of the elder. So we have to be out front in our character. So, so look with me really quickly there. We're going to go through two through seven. Now. I mean, we're going to fly. I kind of group these into chunks. Above reproach. An elder must be above reproach. In other words, when that person's name is named, you don't think, oh yeah, he's the angry guy. Or, oh oh yeah, he's the, oh yeah. Like, you don't have a list of sins that comes to mind when somebody's name is listed. It doesn't mean they don't sin. It doesn't mean you've not necessarily even seen them sin before. But it means you don't think of them with that sin and that sin and that sin. They're living a godly life. They look a lot like Jesus. A one-woman man. That's a husband of one wife. The, the, probably the more literal translation, the better translation, is a one-woman man. And I mean, it, it means just exactly what we think of when you say that. I mean, he is completely 100% dedicated to his wife. He's not a flirt. He's not going around. Yet. Oh, I wonder, what's there? No, there's no question. He's in it for his wife. He loves her. He loves her. 
Even if we should ever have a single elder, and by the way, I, I served as a single elder um, before I got married. That single elder cannot serve as an elder if there's this line of tombstones from dating relationships behind him. He's not qualified. He has to be a one-woman man. I've kind of grouped a few other things here. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, not quarrelsome, not violent but gentle, not addicted to anything but Jesus. You've got to want to be around the guy. You've got to want them to be around you. He's not a miserable, out-of-control, angry, headstrong, bullheaded person. He can make decisions that are hard without emotion winning the day. There are decisions that have to be made that sometimes, as an elder, I do not want to do that. But the godly elder has to say, yes. This is what the Bible says. I, I know I don't like it, but this is what the Bible says, or this is what the church needs. They've got to be able to make those calls. They've got to be able to, with a level head, want to say, brother or sister, please stop what you're doing. This isn't right. Not in a mean way. Not in an angry way. And we need guys to be elders who, when they do that, you feel loved, not hated. That there's not distancing and pushing away, but reconciliation and healing that takes place. And we need guys who are willing to do that for months and months and months. And somebody just be up. Toot. And they're going to keep going. They've got to be level-headed. They've got to be self-controlled. All right, let's keep going. Not a lover of money. Money cannot be the motor, motivator for ministry. We serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If he calls us to do it, we're going to do it. It'd be great if some incredibly wealthy person walked in these doors one day and said, hey, y'all want $4 million? You know what we could say? Yes, we do. We want to put it right there. <laughs> nice big building. But if that same person said, well, then I need you to do this, this, and this, the elders have to be able to say, Thank you so much for your generous offer, but that's not for us. We want you to know Jesus more than we want your money. We've got to do it. Manage his own household well and keeping his children submissive. Um, he needs to disciple his wife and his kids. And if he can't disciple his wife and his kids, and again, that's not meaning that they're all perfect, but if he's not actively involved in discipling his family, how in the world do we think he's going to disciple other people? I mean, think about it. If the most important people to him, and he's not pouring into their souls, he's not going to do that with anybody else either. He's got to disciple his family. doesn't mean his children are all poster children, or maybe even that all of his children are saved. But his home is reasonably ordered. He's pouring the gospel into them. Um, this also doesn't mean 
than an elder's wife is an instant staff member. And I, I, I want to do a little, little defense here for, for Luca, for Sarah, for Angie, for Lee, for Ashley. Just because there are elders' wives doesn't mean they're automatically volunteered for any volunteer position this church ever has. Uh, okay, I mean, it, it, it's not a one-on-one -on -one thing. Oh, we're doing this. Let's ask all the elders' wives. It's not, these ladies want you to ask. But don't assume they're going to say yes. They're humans, too. They've got kids, too. Um, love them. And, and I am so grateful I can say, follow these women if you want to know how to be a godly woman. I'm grateful for that. But don't just, let's, let's make sure we never dump on those ladies and overwhelm them. All right. Other things. An elder needs to be solid and humble. They, they don't need to be a new convert. They need, to have, they need to have known Jesus and walked with him a while. They, they need to, to kind of ooze grace. When you're around them, there's just a way they speak that points you to Jesus. They need to be humble so they don't get taken down by the devil. It needs to be someone who's a good witness to those outside. In other words, they can speak to someone who's not a Christian, maybe absolutely hates God, and still have a conversation graciously and kindly. Say this truth, but not be a jerk about it. So, I want to ask you some things about this list. Just think about it. Think about the list as a whole. You know what that list kind of looks like and sounds like? A Christian, right? I mean, this sounds like a, what a Christian guy should be doing. And I mean, if you switch the one woman man or one woman man to one man woman, yeah. I mean, that's that's what a Christian lady should be. I mean, this this is this is not rocket science. This isn't some special extra set of criteria. This person needs to be a godly Christ-like follower. He needs to love Jesus and look like he loves Jesus. And I want to challenge every single one of us here. The Bible's already said it's good to want to move toward leadership, whether that's an elder or deacon, Bible study teacher, just disciple, whatever that is. This is the character you need to pursue. Joe's going to preach on deacons next week. I mean, the list looks shockingly similar because it's the list of what a Christian should look like. This needs to be what we look like. And folks, so, so let me just ask you to pause just a second. Reflect a minute. Where is your life lacking? Where do you strike out on that list? Because let me tell you, I do. I mean, I see, I read things in prepping this week. It's like, ooh, ooh. Where is your character lacking? Let me challenge you today. Repent. Turn to Christ in this. Ask for forgiveness and then seek to follow him. Open up the scriptures. Do, study your scriptures. Find out what it needs to be. Get somebody to hold you accountable. Do what it takes to have this godly, Christ-like character. We say we love Jesus. That's what we just sang, right? I love that song, by the way. But, but we, that's what we sang. So let's do it. He gives us the power and he changes our heart. So let's start to look a little bit like him. All right, number three. Elders need one skill. There is one skill on this list. Look in verse two with me. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. I wrote down the wrong verse. That's great, isn't it? Hold on just a second. Sorry. Yeah, this is awkward, huh? Where is it? It's hidden. Verse 2. End of verse 2. I didn't write down the wrong verse. I just psyched myself off because it's got those silly little footnote numbers and it said 3 on my Bible. Let me try this again. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That's the skill. Able to teach. And despite what I have just displayed, an elder must be able to teach. An elder must be able to teach. Elders are responsible for the teaching of the church. Elders are responsible to equip people to understand the gospel, to know God's words. That's what we do. The primary tool in our belt is teaching. Um, Some of you know I like woodworking. I have one tool that I use over and over and over. Um, I've One of my dearest possessions is my grandfather's, Uh, and and it's called a combination square, but it's how you mark stuff out. It's how I learned from him to mark things out, and I prize it. I mean, it's always near me because that's my main tool. I have a lot of other tools, but that's the one that comes back every time, and so for the elder, that's teaching. It's over and over and over. When we counsel as pastors and elders, you know what we're doing? It's one-on-one teaching, all right? Uh, some of y'all have, have sat with us when we've done premarital counseling. You know what we do? We teach what the Bible says about marriage, right? I mean, it, it's not rocket science. We're, we're not these brilliant guys who've just figured it out. We just know who has, and we keep trying to point you back to that, and we do that by teaching. So, so let me be very specific of what that looks like here. We preach, the elders will preach in the main gathering 95% of the time. And that's, you're you're going to hear primarily Joe, also me and Chad, and, and probably sometimes Steve and, and Jeff. We're going to be delivering the sermon. Doesn't mean it always happens, but 95% of the time, that's the main thing. That is the main thing we do. Two, we choose the songs we sing. Chad is a brilliant musician. And y'all remember when I used to lead the music? (laughs) Aren't you grateful for Chad? Um, But Chad doesn't just pick every single song we sing. Joe, Chad, and I sing. I mean, we agonize for hours. I mean, it's long of, of what songs will fit this scripture and will help teach the congregation, and then what songs have doctrine in them that the congregation needs to hear, and what songs are going to key in with that scripture reading. How do we teach through these songs? Your elders do that. Your pastors do that. We are teaching. That's why songs are so important. That's why I love using the scripture songs with the kids, because the songs are teaching. We prepare to pray in a meaningful way to show you how to pray. One of the areas that Joe Chad and I have been convicted for a couple of years, um, and, and now our, our whole elder team, is we are not as strong of a praying church as we ought to be. And so you know how we feel like 
the first step to correcting that is one, our personal prayer lives. We all read a book about praying to help ourselves. And, and then we're trying to pray more and better. As an example, not fancy, big, you know, weird words or anything like that. But, but show you, we, you can pray about meaty stuff. You, you can pray with a newspaper in one hand, or, or newspaper, I guess this is what they look like now, but you, you can do that. that that's, that's a prayer guide. That's not a newspaper or, or, or Yahoo News or whatever it is you might use. That's a prayer guide. We can pray about the big, heavy things. We can pray for people meaningfully. We can pray for people's souls. We want to teach in that. We watch over who teaches Bible study. We watch over who teaches VBS. We watch over who teach students. We watch over all this stuff because we want the pure gospel to go forth and it not be clouded by error, thick confuse. We love picking books, curriculum, even the art on the walls. We think through, and there's some stuff we don't use videos. Oh, there's been so many times. Oh, that's a great video, except for that. And you've never seen it. We care deeply about how we teach. And the whole purpose of this is if we get distracted, we'll miss Jesus. We'll miss him. takes Christ-like character to not preach what you want to preach. This week, some of y'all know, I have a degree in leadership. My sermon topic, leadership. Do you know how many books I want? I mean, I wanted to throw down. I had quotes. I have intentionally decided I'm not giving you a quote from a leadership author. I will not do it this morning for one sole and solitary reason. Christian leadership, the leadership in the church is not about us and our wisdom and how smart we can get. We need to learn from all that. That's good stuff. But it is about preaching and sharing Jesus Christ and Him alone. We are a one-trick pony. It's Jesus. That's it. There's no other message. That's all we got. And it takes Christ-like character to say, no, I'm not going to use that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to use that one either. Paul said it this way. 1 Corinthians 2 says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. So that your faith, here, here's the kicker, this is the point, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's the goal, that you love Jesus Christ. It's not to be entertaining, it's not to be the best preacher for the sake of being the best preacher, and because all oh, the people will think that's cool and they'll just get back. No, it's Jesus. That's it. And you have to have a godly character to say no to all that stuff. And boy, Joe, Chad, and I, Steve, and Jeff, we mess up on that a lot. Sometimes we get really distracted. But our desire in our heart is to preach to you Jesus and Him crucified. All right. Final thing. 
We're going to pop out of this passage. Um, turn with me, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. So, some of the other short letters that Paul wrote. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Um, this is in a section, he's talking to um, the church, and then he kind of, it's like church elders, church elders, and he goes back and forth in verse 13. 14. This is, this is how the elders are to go about ministry. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Let me read that again. It's very short. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This is what elders do. That's what shepherding is. Shepherds take care of sheep, right? They feed them. They take them to water. They make sure that water's not moving or the sheep float down the water. <laughs> I mean, they, they watch over the sheep. When one gets lost, they go find it. And, and that's what 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is. So let's look with me. It's, it's to come strong with those who are in unrepentant sin. That, that word, it's kind of like the idea of like busybody troublemaker. It's, it's admonishing. I mean, we got to come strong sometimes. And congregation, I want to ask you to hear, when one of us comes strong, I promise you, it's not because we want to come strong. Boy, there are so many times, I mean, when, when we've got to confront somebody, you, you would think like our dog died in the office. I mean, it's just like, oh man, we don't want, this is not what somebody wants to do. But we care. It's, it's not a gotcha. It's a begging, please, please, brother, sister, turn to Jesus. Stop the sin. Turn away from the sin. We'll help you. It's not a, hey, you stop. You pull yourself up. But no, it's Jesus can help and we're going to walk with you. We'll be there. But you got to turn. You got to turn to Jesus. You, you, you got to turn to Jesus. It's unwashed. It's strong when it has to be. It's so strong that sometimes after months, did you hear that word? Months of this. The last time we had to do this was three months of work. Even then, some people still refuse to repent. And even then, the elders have a responsibility to bring that brother or sister before the congregation for even more people to beg for them to repent. Our elders need great character to never take this responsibility lightly or to develop a notion of superiority. Do you see how this could, somebody prideful could just run amok with this job? All Christians have to understand and embrace that old adage, but especially elders Save but the grace of God, there go I. In other words, if it weren't for Jesus, that's what I'd be doing. We've got to maintain our humility, and that's really hard to do. So you've got to have elders with God, Christ-like character. Second piece there, encourage, encourage. A lot of times, and this is where we're going to end today, some of y'all... And some of me, (laughs) man, we just need to hear, God loves you. Keep in there. And that's the job of the elder over 
and over and over. And I'll tell you, Jeff, Steve, Joe, Chad, this is something I think we need to do even more and more and more of. Hey, brother, I'm just praying for you today. But let me encourage you, don't let that just be the elders who do that. And shoot somebody a text. We, we have this amazing technology thing that lets us communicate in seconds. Hey, I'm, I'm praying for you and pray for them. I mean, just do that. Encourage people that you know are hurting. Lots. Like, not just once a year. Lots. Encourage the broken. That's what pastoring looks like. That's what eldering looks like. Help people who are struggling. Help the weak. That means physically help. Sometimes we're coordinating with the deacons from the food pantry. Benevolence funds meet physical needs. Sometimes we're going to hospitals. Sometimes elders are going to come into a house when you're not able to come to church and serve the Lord's Supper. But we pray for the week too. Every single time we meet, every other week right now, sometimes on Wednesday nights, sometimes 10, 11 o'clock at night, we are praying for those in the church we know are struggling. We've got a list, and we just pray for y'all. Some of y'all may see, I need to be on your list. We may not know, you, know, you may not know about this, but hey, there's this big, man, tell us. We want to pray, and we do. We pray for you. We want to help the weak. Um, we, we don't want to just stop Say, don't sin. We want to walk with you while you struggle through that. This might mean counseling. This might mean a men's group. This might mean getting uh, someone into a women's group. Or it might simply be lots and lots and lots of follow-up. Um, we mobilize the congregation to help. Hey, this person, their, their front porch fell in. We know, you know, you, you are a contractor. You know how to do that. And you guys got some time. Let's... We help the weak. And we need to do it a lot. And we need lots of help with that. Because let me tell you, I know I feel that weakness a lot. And I know a lot of you do too. The final phrase. This is, this is the gut punch, all right? For, for the elders in here, aspiring elders, this is the one that pops you right in the kidney. It says, there in the end of verse 14, be patient with them all. Anybody like being patient? I hate it. I like things now. We love instant gratification. We, but hey, you ever notice how we are? We love instant gratification, and we love things being right and fixed, and then when actual change takes place, we hate the change. You know, I mean, the, patience, man, wow, this is hard. But let me challenge every single person here, but particular elders, hold course. If you're our Bible study teachers, hold the course. Keep in there. Don't give up. VBS teachers, the kids teachers, I mean, that one little one that you just think, boy, they're never going to get it. Keep in there. Ladies, some of y'all have been encouraging other ladies in this congregation for years, and you feel like you've seen nothing come from it. Keep in there. Be patient through this. And this doesn't mean patient once. This is patient, patient, and patient, and then some patience after that. And elders have to have the character to stay that course. You know when we wanted to put lay elders in? 
January 2009. You know when we put lay elders in place? January 2018. You know when we want to do this? And boy, it took long. We've been talking about writing, rewriting that constitution for how long, Joe? I don't even know. Man, you guys just stay the course. So, so let me encourage elders out there, future elders, Sunday school teachers, parents. Oh my goodness, does this ever apply to you? Stay the course. Stay the course. In preparing this sermon, I've thought back, and I'm going to cry. Y'all just get ready. Um, I've thought back over our lives together and seen godly change over time. It's not that I or the the elders are special or that we're really good at that or, or there's something magic here. It's just that God's word keeps going forth. And God's faithful to his word. He changes people and he works by his Holy Spirit. We're just going to keep on preaching God's word. And God's spirit is going to keep on working. He's going to work in me and he's going to work in you. And we're not there yet. But if you look around, we're a lot further than we were 10 years ago. I know I am. We love Jesus a lot more deeply. We love each other a whole lot more deeply. Just think what God has done. Many of you 10 years ago could not say that Jesus was God the Son who became man, lived the perfect life for me, died the death I deserve, rose again, and I trust Him. Ten years ago, a lot of you couldn't say that. Ten years ago, you may have not even known about this Jesus guy. Thought he was some mythical figure like Santa Claus. And maybe some of you are still hearing that message. You're still in that spot. Let me encourage you to look around this room. I want to list off a few things that have happened. We've heard the message, and Jesus has saved. Look around and see the faces that have passed through the baptistry, a.k.a. horse trough. Remember back to those days when we loaded it up in my truck, hauled it to Russell's house, because we didn't have hot water, filled it with hot water, drove the horse trough full over to that school. That was, that was interesting. I've never driven a car like that before. Remember those days that we hauled that thing? And then those folks came out of that water with the biggest smile on their face. Think of the sweet lady's feet that walked down that aisle to get married. Think of those gentle cries and blood-curdling screams of the babies that have been born. They're now in the student ministry, the first ones. Think about when Bart McGowan's class was the young married's class. Y'all remember that one? Y'all remember way back then? Think about that crazy rubber floor tiles. Oh, I hated rubber floor tiles. Think how many shark steam mops we went through. I mean, we could put those things out like nobody's business. Think about that hurt we felt. When that first family moved out of state. And we were a little bit smaller. And oh, we hurt. And we missed them. We still miss them. 
Think about the kids who came to VBS, and then their parents came to church and got saved, and now they teach in VBS. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Think about the marriages repaired. Think how many of you used to look at porn. The drunkenness that stopped. Think how many of you have come out of the depths of depression over and over and over. And God's carried you through and you sit here and you praise Him now. Think of the church planted. The building built. The weeds pulled. The six families who used to live in shacks with their kids who now have houses and heard the gospel the first time. Think of the 12 former Muslims who now love Jesus over in Central Asia. Think of the eight orphans who have forever homes. Think of the number of times the church has jumped in and moved me and Joe and many others to new homes, including the flying treadmill incident, subsequent knee surgery, see you around like a donut, the kids who have sung the screen that fell over during the solo, oh yeah, that was a good day, the health crises survived, the godly saints who we bury, and we don't get to sing with them again until we're all before the throne of Jesus. We're not in this for the quick fix, the flash in the pan. We're going to stick this thing out as a group of elders and as a congregation. And Jesus is going to keep building his church. He said he would, and he's going to do it. He said he would, and he's going to do it. So don't get discouraged. Elders, congregation, hold the course. Be patient. Seek godly Christ-like character. Follow the elders as we seek to follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, help us. I know this sermon didn't exactly fit the seminary definition and textbook model. But Lord, I ask that you would use it. Lord, I pray for the elders, the five here and the who knows how many that, that we don't even know their names yet. But God, I pray for us as a congregation, every single one of us. May we love you a little more. May we stay in the fight to trust you and live lives of repentance and see Christ-like character. Just carry us home, God. The whole church, carry us home. May these walls get really crowded because of all you do. In Jesus' your name we pray. Amen.